Good morning, City Light Church. My name is Gavin. If you're new, I'm one of the pastors here. And there's power in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I'm thankful for it because there's not much power in my voice this week. I'm coming over a cold, but hey, hallelujah, God speaks. He spoke through a donkey once. He can speak through a horse voice. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I love this story, and I love the Bible, and it's time to preach the Bible. City Light, we love this book. Long after the hype of City Light Church has died down, and we're old news, and there's some other cool thing going on and all that, and we wonder what's left. This is what is left. This is the anchor. This contains the words of life. We want to root our church community, our discipleship, everything we have, do, and are about in this book. And I love the story that God gives us in the book this week, the story of this man that was healed. Uh, I want to preach a sermon out of Acts chapter 3 called, A Miracle and a Message. It's all about Jesus. This is a long passage, but it's a very rich passage. And we see that there's kind of two things that happen in this passage that are really a part of the one same thing. It's really two sides of the same coin, a miracle and a message. Right? See, in the first ten verses, we see this amazing miracle where Peter and John, filled with the Spirit of God, heal a man who had been lame from birth. It was an amazing miracle, and we're going to study the miracle. We're going to learn some things about ministry, how God used these men, how he can use us, and that's part of the coin. God does miraculous, God does ministry, but he doesn't stop there. Because the opportunity of the miracle makes way for the opportunity of the message that it's all about Jesus. See, Peter heals one man physically in this passage, but he goes on to preach a sermon, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ that then saves 2,000 men at the end of this sermon. Peter is going to say, hey, the, the power of Jesus is not only in the healing of this lame man, though it's there. It's like a road sign that points us to the power of Jesus over sin and death and the grave. And he preaches the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a look at our text today in kind of two sections. Number one, the miracle. And number two, the message. And City Light, I want you to know this is a very important word for us. Okay, church? Uh, Number one, well, I want to invite God to kind of do two things through it. Number one, that we would take in the message. Um, What Peter's going to do for us is really show us that from Genesis to Revelation, from the very beginning of creation, paramount in all of God's workings in the world is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the exalted one from the very beginning. He is God's plan, A, to gather a people for himself. He is God's servant. He is the hero of the story. And I pray that through this text, through the message, we would see and receive and worship Jesus as central to our lives, central to our church, and central um, to what God is doing among us. But number two, I don't want to overlook the miracle. Because God does something pretty significant in here. And I want us to see that this pattern of a miracle leading to the message that saves a whole bunch of people is a pattern that God still uses today. And I want to remind us, church, that the same Holy Spirit that that empowered Peter and John in their lives for great miracles and ministry is the same Holy Spirit that indwells God's people today. We may not see people miraculously healed like this every day. In fact, we only see about a dozen miracles in the book of Acts, but we see the Holy Spirit empowering every one of his children for the work of ministry. 
It might be miraculous. We might see some people healed. It might feel very mundane to walk with someone through a lifetime, um, very hard ministry. But what we see is that God sends his Holy Spirit to reside inside of his people, to empower them for the work of ministry. And that ministry is always to point us to the message that it's all about Jesus. You with me? So here we go. Let's get into our text this morning. We're going to do it in two points, two parts, the miracle and the message. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the miracle. God, what do you have to teach us out of the miracle that we see this morning of this lame beggar healed? Let's look at verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. First thing I want you to see about miracles and ministry is that God uses a team. He uses a team. Notice it's not Peter. It's not John. It's Peter and John. It's Peter and John. They're a team. They're together. In fact, these guys have been... These guys have been business partners for a long time. In Luke chapter 5 that we studied this spring, we see when Jesus calls Peter out of the fishing boat to be his disciples. They then go down the road. They see John, one of his business uh, buddies, business partners in the fishing industry. And what does Jesus tell Peter? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So these dudes used to catch fish together. Jesus calls them, says you're going to catch men together now. And what we're seeing is the fulfillment of God's promise that they would be fishers of men. And they're doing it as a team. Now, these two characters, John and Peter, are very different from each other. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that John, he liked to snuggle up to Jesus. He was very predictable. He was very steady. Um, uh, He used his words very carefully. Peter was a loose cannon, right? Peter's been called the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Constantly inserting foot, saying stupid things. He was unpredictable. These guys are very differently gifted, but they're a team. United, one spirit, one mission, one Jesus, one ministry, they're a team. And I want to ask you, who's your team? Um, if, you're a, if you're a Christian, God's put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he empowers you for ministry, but he doesn't call you to do it alone. It's called the local church. He wants to plug you into people, plug you into a community. Who's your team? You know, City Light Church, from the very beginning, it's never, it's always been about a team. We never wanted it to be about one guy or one thing that gets really dangerous and weird. We want it to be a team. It's a us, not a me, not a I. It's a us. Even the lead pastor position, I'm not the lead pastor. Chris and I are the lead pastor. We share that role. Together, we are the lead pastor. And we didn't end up there because we just couldn't decide who was going to take charge. I mean, we would have just arm wrestled and seen that clearly I was the guy to kind of captain the ship. It really would not have been an issue. I promise you that. Um, I have to give a little demonstration later. Um, that wouldn't have been an issue. But we just realized that as we read scripture, it's very rare that you see one man at the front of the ship. You always see a team, right? Peter had John. John had Peter. When Jesus uh, came to the earth, what did he do? The first thing he did, he picked a team. He had his 12, and then he had his three, and then he had his right-hand man, John, Right? God himself exists as a team, a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's always been about a team. And so I want to ask, who's your team? We want to be a part of a team. From the lead pastor role at our church, we're a team. One of us might be like John, steady and predictable. One might have a foot-shaped mouth. Just saying. We have a different team. Hallelujah. But we're different. There might be some people that don't act like you. They have different spiritual gifts than you. Um, God isn't asking you to just gather people around you that look just like you, but to plug into a diverse team and use your gifts as a team. In ministry and miracles, God uses a team. That was a lot out of one verse. Amen? Let's hit the next one. We'll keep going. Verse 2. 
And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Second thing I want you to see out of our text this morning is this. Well, let me, let me start off by asking a question. Um, how often was this man laid at the temple gate? What's this? Daily. Every day this guy's here. And every day that Peter and John are in Jerusalem, which is frequent, they would go to the temple to pray. And so they've seen this guy dozens of times. They've been near this guy dozens of times. They've stepped over this guy dozens of times. And the second thing I want you to see about the way um, God uses us in ministry is that sometimes the greatest opportunity for ministry and miracles is someplace that we step over every day. Isn't it true we... We sometimes think, man, God has to change my geography in order to use me in miraculous and mighty ways. No, he doesn't, right? You know, if God called me to Nepal to help with earthquake relief or um, an impoverished nation in West Africa, then I would see God do the amazing and the miraculous. And you're right, he might. We prayed with Dr. Vaughn this morning. He might go to Nepal to help. Hallelujah. If God sends you, go. But what I want you to see is, that is it possible that the primary place where God wants to use you is right where you are? Maybe someone that you walk past every day. Maybe someone that you avoid eye contact with every day. What if God wants to use you right where he has you? Look at verse 3 with me. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple... He asked to receive alms. I want you to notice that this guy wasn't looking to get healed, was he? Says he's asked to receive alms. What are alms? Money, bribes, money, just handouts, right? This dude's a beggar. He doesn't want to get healed. He wants five bucks and a cigarette, right? Like, dude, you got a light? You got some spare change? Can you help me out? Bus pass? Something? He's not looking to get healed. He's looking for a quick fix, something to get him through the day. But God wants to give him a strength to get through the rest of his life. I love this verse because it's a picture of grace. Grace means that God pours out his blessing on undeserving and ill-deserving people that don't even see it coming. What a picture of the gospel. I love it because it's my own story. I've shared it with you guys before. 1998, I was headed to a Bible study chasing a cute girl. I didn't want salvation. I wanted a date to homecoming, right? I want five bucks and a smoke. I'm not, I'm not looking for the power of God and eternal salvation. I couldn't have cared less. But guess what? God didn't wait until the motivations of my heart were right to break in and pour out his love and grace in my life because I went chasing a girl. But what I found was the book of Romans. I've shared it before. I read it for the first time and Jesus came alive to me and he saved me through the reading of his word. The thing about ministry and miracles is God works in his timing and in his ways, and he's not always waiting for you to get your motivations right. And So let me just state maybe the obvious. Maybe you came here this morning. You were just looking for a donut. There's a whole bunch in the back still. You can go get one. That's fine. Donuts are fine. Maybe you came looking for a date. Raise your hand if you're, if you're here looking for a date. I'm trying to help you out, okay? This could end well for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Or it could get really awkward. But what I'm trying to say is maybe your motivations aren't pure, but maybe you came this morning and like this man, you were looking for something else, but maybe God wants to do a miracle in your life even today. Amen? Because the miracle leads to a message, and he wants you to know you're here today because Jesus has you here. He wants to do something in your life. Let's take a look at uh, the actual miracle now, verse 4. 
It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. They were a team, and they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's where the power is. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I want you to notice the contrast uh, that Luke, our author, gives us here. In verse 2 of this miracle account, it says that this dude was lame from birth. That means he hasn't walked a day in his life. Fast forward to verse 8, two times it says that this man was leaping and praising God. He went from crawling to dancing, jumping up and down, headed into the temple. What I want you to see is that this is a sermon illustration that when God's grace comes into your life, he doesn't just give you a little grace. He isn't interested in just giving you a little nudge, a little help, help you become a little better version of yourself, help you do a little better, help you become a little more religious. No, he wants to make you new. He's showing us that the power of God is a radical power that wants to change you. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone. The new has come from crawling to leaping. This man was made new. It was an absolute miracle. Now let me speak into a question that might be in some of your minds right now. Because maybe you've cried out to God for healing and maybe it didn't happen quite like this. Listen, we believe that God can and still does at times and quite often heal people miraculously. In fact, we believe that for all of God's children, he always heals his children in every way. The question is, will it be now or will it be on the other side of eternity? And sometimes like this man, he heals miraculously because he says, I'm going to use your ailment as a demonstration of my power and my healing to point people to my message that Jesus is powerful and he can save you from the effects of your sin and your spiritual sickness and give you eternal life. But sometimes God says, no, I, I gave you that sickness for another purpose. Right? The apostle Paul cried out to the Lord three times, heal me. He said, no, because the purpose of that ailment was to do a demonstration of my grace and your weakness, to show you how to, um, uh, to walk with God through the trials. And, and so let me say this, God doesn't always heal miraculously in the moment. And even when he doesn't, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you any less. Your day is coming. He will make everything that is wrong right in the lives of his children in eternity. But this is a sermon illustration to show us that the author of life, Jesus Christ, has the power in every way to overturn the effects of the sin and the fall, physical brokenness, and even more so spiritual brokenness, and to give you eternal life. That's the miracle that's before us. Now let me show you one more thing about the miracle because I, I, I wanted point one to be helpful, to help us learn how to do ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that I want to show you. In ministry, it's God who leads us, it's God who empowers us, but God's children still have to act. Did you catch that? Right? Uh, Peter and John, like I mentioned, kind of in verse one, they've walked past this guy dozens of times. They've never healed him before. But for some reason, on this day, God put it in them to stop and minister to this man. And we don't know how they knew that God was telling them to stop and heal them. I wish that he told us in verse 9, but he doesn't. It just says that they stopped and did it. So we trust that God led them. In my own life, God will lead me, of course, through Scripture. But in, in, in the day-to-day routine like this, sometimes it's just a pull. 
Sometimes it's just a sense of, man, I should, I should stop and actually ask that person how they're doing. I should stop and pray with this person. One of my mentors calls it a sense of oughtness. He'll just put in his people a sense of oughtness. I ought to just slow down for a second and ask you how, how you're doing and, and, and pray for you. And so this day, Peter and John felt a sense of oughtness. God led them and God empowered them, but whose voice was used to do the healing? Peter. He had to claim authority in the name of Jesus Christ and say, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. God leads, God empowers, but God uses his people to do the ministry. And so my question for you is this. Does does God have standing permission in your life to interrupt your day? Remember, Peter and John didn't go here to heal this dude. They're going to church. They're going to prayer at the temple. They've got a schedule. They've got a deadline. Peter's in the party, so they're probably running late. That's what happens with Peter's. They get to talk and you run late. But they gave God permission in this moment, even though they had seen this guy dozens of times, that they're going to stop down and pause and minister to him. And let me ask you, does God have permission to interrupt your schedule for ministry? Does God have your outlook calendar? Does God have your watch? Does God have the opportunity and standing permission to break into your schedule, even in vacation, even when you're busy, even when you're running late, even when your kids are screaming in the back of the minivan? Trust me, I know it. I've got a lot of free time these days, but... City Light, we need to give God permission to interrupt our schedule. Because in so doing, we're going to find opportunities for ministry in the miraculous. Amen? Amen. Point one, the miracle. Point two, I want to talk about the message. Because see, the miracle isn't just about the miracle. The miracle is a demonstration of God's power that's going to lead him to the preaching of the message, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the miracle that leads to the message. I want to get back into our verses. Look with me, starting in verse 12. Uh, Verse 11 says that they've run into the temple. He's leaping and praising God, jumping around. Remember, um, these are religious Jewish people that are going into the temple. They've seen this man dozens of times. They know that he's been lame for birth. And they're seeing him jumping and praising God. And it's safe to say that they have gained the attention of the crowd. So with everyone looking on, here's how Peter uses the miracle to get to the message. Verse 12, it says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The miracle made way for the message that it's all about Jesus. Let me show you two ways that Peter leverages the miracle in ministry for the opportunity to preach the message. Number one, it's just the most obvious. Number one, Peter very simply wants people to know that Jesus gets the credit for the healing. Amazing miracle happens. Priority number one is let everyone know the power was in the person of Jesus. Look look with me at verse 12. He's saying, who are you looking at? Why are you looking at us? In other words, I'm a fisherman from Galilee. Ain't no power in me to do that. 
He said, you think because of our own piety, our own religion, that no, 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 no. And then look down at verse 16. What's he say? It's Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. The power is in Jesus. The power is in the person and the presence of Jesus. City Light, I want you to see that the miracle gave way for the opportunity of the message that it's all about Jesus. Peter wants the folks to see, hey, this ain't about me. And so at the easiest level of the second half of this text, I just want to ask this point of application. Do you see every gift you've been given? Every way that you can serve people, all of your resources, every good gift that God has given you is an opportunity to deflect glory to Jesus. That's what Peter does. That's what he's going to model for us. The miracle gives way for the message. I want to say this is actually harder than we think. Why? Because we're glory addicts. We love attention. We love credit. We love fame. Especially in our culture, we are amazingly narcissistic, right? We love to win. We want to be awesome because we are, right? Right? You even see this in sports. Think about, uh, here's an illustration. Think about the, the Huskers. Many of you are Husker fans. We'll pray for the rest of you. But when the Huskers lose, what do we do? We disassociate with them by talking about them. How did the Huskers do this week? And, oh, they lost. Yeah, their coach, man, that new guy, he's horrible. They lost. But when the Huskers win, what do we say? Oh, we won! Man, our new coach, we love him. Our players were hot today. They were on fire. We won. Why? Because we love to associate with the winning team. We love to steal other people's credit and bring it to ourselves. That's the natural proclivity of the human heart. But the heart of a Christian is the opposite. We're deflectors. We're deflectors. Isn't that great? Yeah, God did that. Yeah, Jesus did that. The Spirit of God empowered me to do that. Jesus gets the glory. City, I, I want this to always be and only be the posture of our church. In our personal ministry, when we get the opportunity to love, serve, bless someone, tell them it's about Jesus. My heart is naturally selfish. I wouldn't bring you a meal. I'd eat it. <laughs> but Jesus has given me so much grace. Hey, this is from Jesus. Man, he's saved me. He's given me so much. It's my joy to give it to you. Right? As a church, when people look on, oh, look at City Light, it's, it's really grown fast. Yeah, Jesus is doing a good work. It's all about Jesus. Well, I've heard some really good things are going on there. Yeah, Jesus is amazing. And he's loving people who are far from him and pursuing them with the gospel. And it's all about Jesus. I've said this before. I hope the name City Light doesn't stick. I hope the name of Jesus gets popular in our city because of the ministry that he does through us. And may we speak highly of other churches, empower other churches, plant other churches, give resources to other churches, deflect all the glory away from us. Why? Because the power is in the name of Jesus. We take the miracle as an opportunity for the message. It's all about Jesus. That's what Peter does. Uh, that's the first and most surface way, but I want to show you something else that Peter's actually going to go a little bit deeper here. And uh, here's where I need to get a little bit more teachy and a little less preachy, but hang with me. It's equally worshipful, even though I'm not going to jump up and down and scream in my hoarse voice. Because um, the second thing Peter's going to do, remember he's talking to an Old Testament, a, a Jewish audience, right? These are religious people. They know their Old Testament. They're on their way to the Old Testament temple to worship God. They know some verses. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the opportunity to show these religious Jews that it's not only all about Jesus, but that it's always been all about Jesus, 
It's all about Jesus, and it's always been all about Jesus. He's going to tie together our two testaments in Acts chapter 3 by showing us that, that God didn't interact with his people one way in the Old Testament and then chill out when he had a son, and Jesus is like an appendage on the back of the Bible, that, that Jesus is God's plan A. He's the promised one. The power of the miracle points them to their own scriptures that says the whole time it's been about him. Let me show you in the verses. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, And the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob glorified his servant. Number one, that phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, those are the patriarchs of the Old Testament. He says, our fathers, he's saying, um, that's language that the Old Testament uses repeatedly to describe the one true God, Yahweh, the one existing God, over and against the polytheistic gods of the neighboring nations, over against the false idols and the fake gods that be in this world. He's saying, the one true God that you're on your way to the temple to pray to right now, that God, the one God, he glorified his servant. This is God's plan A. This is God's plan. This isn't something new. He's not the new kid on the block. Oh, 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 Jesus has been hanging tough since the beginning. Additionally, that phrase in verse 13, his servant, that's a loaded phrase. To us, we just think servant, yeah, he serves God the Father because he's God the Son. No, 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 no. It's deeper than that. See, the, uh, the Old Testament, um, well, the, the Jews that knew their Old Testament very well would have immediately thought of Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 that talks about the suffering servant. That was a title. All the Old Testament people knew about the suffering servant, the promised one that would come. If you go and read Isaiah 52 and 53, you will read in great detail about the life, death, and ministry of Jesus to take away the sins of the world, written some six, seven hundred years before Jesus even came to earth. And what he's showing them is that Isaiah, Isaiah, your prophet, is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and it's always been about Jesus. He goes on in verse 14. He, he refers to Jesus as the holy and righteous one. Those are intentional words. He's not just throwing out some religious jargon to make it sound cool, right? These are pregnant words that the Old Testament, these Jewish people would have known. The Holy One is an Old Testament designation for God, meaning he is set apart. The Righteous One is an Old Testament designation for the coming Messiah. It shows up in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 3, Isaiah 32 and 53, Zechariah chapter 9, promising that there would be one that would come, the suffering servant, to take away the sins of the world. What he's showing them is that he is the Savior. He is the suffering servant. It's not just now about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Furthermore, he goes on in verse 15. He uses a play on words. And he says, And you killed the author of life, whom God then raised from the grave. He's showing this, this man that you turned over to Pilate to be murdered, he's actually the one that wrote your life. He's showing them all the way back to Genesis 1, the creation of the world, that in that time, it was all about Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says that everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus. He's showing them out of their own scriptures that Jesus is the author of life. And he proved it because he rose from the dead. No one else has ever done that. And he said, we are witnesses. We have seen him. He is the author of life. Then in verse 22, he goes on. We could spend the rest of the afternoon. I don't know how much time you guys have. 
Uh, He talks about Moses and Samuel, all the prophets. They testified about Jesus. You go on to the rest that we didn't even read. You get down into 24, 25. He talks about the covenant that God made with Abraham. That's all the way back in Genesis 12. That the offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. He's saying the promise of Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Through the line of Abraham came Jesus. And through Jesus, all the nations are blessed because we're all brought into the covenant family of God. It's always been all about Jesus. The miracle gave way for the message that it's always and has always been all about Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation of God's presence. Jesus is the manifestation of God's dwelling on earth. Jesus is the culmination of God's plan of salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises from the very beginning. The miracle led to the message that it's all about Jesus. Next week, I'm going to preach chapter 4. I might try to do the whole thing as well, but let me give you a sneak preview because chapter 4, verse 4, shows the fruit of this day. It says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Prior to this, the church was 3,000. That means on this very moment, from this one sermon, 2,000 people gave their lives to Christ, became Christians bowed their knee to Jesus. See, one man got healed physically, but 2,000 people got healed spiritually and eternally. More on that next week. Come back. I want to land the plane with a few points of application. I've got four, actually. Number one, for the Christians in the room, if you've given your life to Christ, received God's forgiveness, you have been given the Holy Spirit of God. And I just want to remind you that the same spirit that empowered Peter and John on this day is now living inside of you. And he's powerful and he's present. My question for you is, one, do you, do you have a conscious awareness of his presence? And number two, does he have permission to interrupt you at any time to do this kind of ministry? Ministry isn't only done on a Sunday. This miracle didn't happen in a church. It happens through God's people every day. Number two... Do you use the ministry and the miracles that God gives you as an opportunity for the message? Because I think we can get caught up in ministry world and helping people and caring for our city and doing good things and food drives and all of that's great. Hallelujah. But the point of God's ministry is always to get us to the message. It's always a parable, a sermon illustration to get us to the power of God in the gospel. And so my question for you is do you use everything you have, all the gifts that God has given you, all the resources, every opportunity to deflect glory, Uh, away from yourself and point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ministry leads to the message. Point of application number three. I just realized any Sunday morning, some of you guys aren't Christians yet. Maybe you came for the donut or the date. That's fine. That's fine. Um, But I realized that 2,000 people gave their lives to Christ on this day, and you've heard the same message. And I just want to ask you, is God calling you to ask him for forgiveness and receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. Uh, let me show you one more verse. It's actually two. Look at verses 19 and 20. This is the invitation that Peter gives the people after he preaches the message that it's all about Jesus. Look at 19 and 20. This might be for some people in the room. It says this. I'm in the wrong chapter. What does he say? Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's your invitation this morning. Let me break it down. Number one, he says, repent and turn. 
Repent means to change your mind, to change your direction. It means you're headed one way, independent of God, depending on yourself. It means to turn around and say, no, I'm not going to run from God. I'm going to run to God with my sins and with my needs, and I'm going to depend on him. That's what it means to repent. Have you ever turned around from your independence and trusted God? When you give your life to Christ and pray to receive him, it says that two things happen. Number one is a removal. It says, and your sins will be blotted out. Blotted out. It's important. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a word picture that Peter's giving us. That idea of blotted out, we might not be familiar with it. To be blotted out means this. In our day, we have paper, and we use um, paper, and, and we fill it up, and we write things on it, and we print things on it. And when we're done with the piece of paper, it's cheap. We just crumple it up. I hope they're done with that song. We throw it away, right? It's dead to me. We throw it away. You can't get the ink out. That wasn't the way in this day. In this day, they didn't have paper like we have paper. They had parchment or papyrus or even animal skins, and they had an ink that wouldn't quite go all the way in. And, and when someone was done with a piece of paper, it had served its purpose, and it was ready for a new purpose, the owner of that paper would blot it out. They would take the ink, and they would blot it out, and they would wipe it clean. And that piece of paper, which had been used for one purpose, was now ready to be used for a new purpose. And the illustration, the word picture that we're getting in Acts 3 is that that's what Jesus does for you on the cross. There is a, lo- there is a piece of paper that defines your life, okay? All of us have one, and on that piece of paper is all of our sins. Everything that we've done that was wrong, everything that we didn't do that we ought to have done, every ill intention, every wrong motive, every selfish move, and all of us have a piece of paper with a list, and it's a long list. What Jesus is saying, what what Peter is telling us, is that when we give our lives to Christ, on the cross, Jesus takes that piece of paper, he blots it out. He says, I'm going to take that off. It doesn't define you anymore. On the cross, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to take that stain. I'm going to put it on me. And I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to put it on me, and I'm going to pay for it on the cross. And he takes our sins off of us, and he blots it off. And he gives us a life with a new purpose, a clean slate to live for, honor, worship, and abide in God. But a second thing happens. It's not just a removal. He blots out our sins. But number two, it says that times of refreshing may come with the presence of the Lord. That means he blots out our sins, puts it on himself, pays for it on the cross, and then he comes to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he brings refreshing. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever trusted Christ? Would you become a Christian today? That's the offer. It's an exchange. You give Jesus your sins, he gives you his presence. That's the offer on the table this morning. Do you need forgiven? Do you need refreshed? Today is the day. We're going to do it in just a second. But fourth and finally, I don't want to overlook an obvious point of this text. And that's this. We just watched a dude get healed. This guy was physically lame from birth, and God miraculously healed him. God still heals people. Sometimes he says not yet. Sometimes he says yes, but God can and does heal. And let me ask you, are you sick today? Oh my God, good prayed for. I got a sore throat for like a week. I got to get over this thing. Is there an ailment that you have? Guess what? God cares about you. We want to ask God to heal you today. He might and he might not, but it would be our joy to ask, and we'll leave the results up to him. Amen? Amen. And so here's how we're going to do this this morning. I'm going to pray to shut this sermon down. I've gone long. The band is going to play, and here's the invitation for you. There's a prayer team in the back. They've got lanyards on. I'm going to go to the back, and we want to pray with you. And number one, you might be ready to pray to receive Jesus this morning. Would you go back? 
Don't let your fear stop you. Would you just come back to cry out for eternal healing, that your sins would be blotted out and times of refreshing may come in your life. Uh, And number two, you might come back and pray for physical healing. We would love to pray and do that. So let's pray together. Uh, We'll stand and worship and sing, and uh, we'll do some ministry in the back. Jesus, we thank you that since the very beginning, it's all been and it's always been all about you. Jesus, thank you that you take our sins and you blot them out. Thank you that you come into our lives and you bring us times of refreshing. Thank you that you give us hope that on that last day it will be all refreshment as we come into your presence to live with you eternally. Spirit of God, we pray just that you would move in this place, that you would give us more of you, that there might be more ministry that might point more people to the message of the gospel, that we all might um, see a great miracle in our city and in our day because of your great power. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.